0: Hello, and welcome back to the Zen Embodiment YouTube channel. Um, I've been doing these uh, conversations with fascinating people. Um, Today I have Dosho Port, um, and uh, I'm very pleased to have him here. He is the uh, director of the Nebraska Zen Center, along with his wife, Tetsugin Zumak Osho. Okay, okay. And uh he's the author of two books, Keep Me in Your Heart a While, The Haunting Zen of Dainen Katagiri. And coming out in 2021, The Record of Empty Hall. Very cool. And he's also the uh he also writes the blog Wild Fox Zen. So welcome, Dosho. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to meet you. Yeah, very nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um You know, um, we always feel like dosho, um, uh, us Rinzai folks, we we don't know a lot of the the Soto folks, but we always go, oh, dosho, yeah, he's, uh, we like dosho, you know, he's cool. You know, we feel good from dosho. So that's really interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So can I ask you how you got into Zen, please? Uh, yeah, well,
1: uh, long time ago, <laughs> lifetimes it seems now. Really different world. 1977. I was just uh, I was just kind of in between. I dropped out of college, working in the paper mill in uh, northern Minnesota. And a friend of mine sent me a book. We'd always uh, we were kind of wild uh, kids together, uh, reading a lot, but also doing all sorts of illicit activities and uh, he sent me a, a book uh, in a brown paper bag and said on the back, I found it. And uh, <laughs> with black shoe polish. And uh, I remember my mom's face as she's bringing it into me, you know. Uh, and uh, opened it up, it was Three Pillars of Zen. And it was like, just holding the book, it was like, damn, I think he did find it, you know. So uh, just consume the book and, yes. Then in Minneapolis, found that there was a Zen center, which was you know a couple of hours away from where I was living at the time. But eventually, you know, got connected there with uh, Roshi. Very different style than the yes. uh, Kaplow uh, style. Right. But, uh, eventually, uh, uh, and actually, had hitchhiked out to uh, Rochester to try to uh, study with Kaplow. I couldn't find the Zen center. <laughs> It was kind of like a bad dream. It was a, There was a snowstorm, and finally, I just gave up. And, and years later, I came. Uh, I, I met him at a uh, American Zen Teachers uh, conference, and he was, uh, you know, toward the end of his life in a wheelchair and uh, Parkinson's, I believe. And uh, you know, they had lined us up to meet him. They kind of brought him out in the, you know, in a wheelchair in the sun, and. Uh, and uh, we lined up and when it was my turn, I, you know, bowed and said, you know, thank you, Roshi, you know, you, your, uh, your book completely changed my life. And he kind of eyed me up and down and said, for the better, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was for the better. Uh, so that's how uh, I got you involved. Know.
0: And, and, and what was Kategiri like? What was he like?
1: Oh, I was gonna kind of hear like, he was like a lot of stuff. He was very, he could be very serious. He could be probably more serious than anybody I've ever known. Um, and um, well, one of the first times that I saw him sitting, you know, in Soto, we sit facing the wall. So you don't see the teacher sitting very often, but you know, I'd been there a <clears throat> year, maybe year or something. And during a machine, I had had some job. And so I was out of the Zendo and I could see in the window, uh, you know, it was summer, I could see in the window uh at where he was sitting and uh like evening evening lights uh, energy and i was like wow you know that's it that's you know it wasn't so much that's what i want but it was just so much like that's true you know that's like a true moment of uh brightness and uh and and that's that's how he was, uh, you know. He's I think he was very well trained in the classical kind of Japanese system, and really practiced it and took it seriously. So much so that um, at the end of his life, he had uh, cancer, and uh, he had been in the hospital for a while, maybe ten days or something, while they were trying to sort this out. <laughs> and He was mostly you know kind of semi-conscious, maybe unconscious, most of this time, and. Uh, I went to give uh, Tamoisa and his wife a break, and uh, he uh, was just getting up for the first time, and uh, I sat in the chair and he sat at the edge of his bed, and uh, he, he was nonverbal, and he just kept on straightening himself up like this. And we just sat together for a half hour. Yeah. Now I didn't know if he knew who I was, so I <laughs> leaned forward and put my hands on his knees and said, Roshi. It's show And then he opened his eyes and said, I know who you are.
0: <laughs>
1: and he did. That was the sense of uh, being with him, is that
0: he knew who I
1: was. Wow! That's beautiful.
0: wow, wow. And you were there for how long?
1: Uh, 13 years. And we did this kind of quasi monastic
0: Thing. Uh, you know, i worked
1: at uh, juvenile center most of that time as a teacher and quasi-administrator and um you know we had you know sitting in the morning uh, you know at five o'clock a couple hours of sitting in service and then in the evening hour and a half or so you know all days on saturdays machine every month four yeah four seven days a year and gradually we developed the uh the country property that we were trying to get going as a monastery Had longer periods of practice there, six weeks or so. Yeah, so it was very intense. And uh, it was a Zen center. Like, I don't think there are Zen centers like that anymore. And uh, but I mean, at the time, it was there were that that's what Zen centers were in the the late 70s and 80s. they were very intense. And uh, there were people that were very interested in that kind of intensity. cool cool
0: that's 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 really interesting like because you feel like the culture was so thirsty for it
1: yeah, i think yeah the culture and the generation so it was a lot of the uh, you know hippie boomer generation still and i'm just kind of underneath that a little bit <clears throat> but um yeah so there uh, you know i don't really know why <laughs> but you could say the culture but why I, I don't really know but this circumstances came together and so There was actually, I think, a lot of intensive practice in the U.S. in those days.
0: Yes, yes. And um, now, was that right there? That's right there in Lake Calhoun? Is that where we're talking about?
1: Right. The lake has another name now because Calhoun, it turns out, was some kind of crazy racist bastard. So uh, they uh, eventually changed the name, but I haven't lived in Minneapolis since then, so I'm not quite sure what it is, but it's a native name. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah.
0: Cool. Cool, cool. Um, okay, well, uh, um, so, Te Um then you, you stayed there 13 years, um, and if you don't want to say anything more about that, what came after that? What transitioned you to other things? Um, please.
1: Well, one thing about that is that it, for me, and working with uh, Katagiri and Soto, wasn't so much of a transition because, yes, uh, although there wasn't a koan curriculum, the way he understood what zazen is as what, as a question mark, and uh, so that you know that naturally kind of easily transitions into koan work, and I'd also found kind of a um, a found koan, as we call them, and he worked. You know, with me uh, on that for several years, wow. and uh, so uh, it was—it was familiar territory uh, for me. And he also stressed uh, that awakening is is important, uh, you know, and and digesting the awakening, of course, in everyday life is is equally important. So uh, he was—he was, uh, he was uh, different. Uh, in that way also then I think a lot of the contemporary uh, soto scene or sometimes uh, awakening uh, one, one person, one priest and teacher from one of the large centers that says that his, his center is rabidly anti-kensho. So that wasn't, that wasn't the spirit of right.
0: Katagiri. Wow, so. wow, right, right. I <clears throat> I love to look at pictures of Katagiri. He's, um, he, you you see his embodiment, his fullness, mm-hmm. his, his essence is um, powerful. It's very beautiful. Um, so um, for me that I can, you can see, oh, there's there's um, that powerful depth is, um, that experience is, is um, profound and, and moving through his life. So beautiful to see. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, important experiences for me early on, kind of getting into it also was,
1: you know, seeing him sitting, but I also was over there doing something in the library and heard somebody vacuuming the stairs, looked around the, peeked around the corner. I don't think he knew anybody was there and saw him vacuuming the stairs. And he was just like so totally in his body and, and so totally just vacuuming the stairs that I I also was like,
0: oh, that's how you do it. You know, yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, okay. So, um, great. How about moving on to Tangan Roshi. Please say a little bit about Tangen Roshi. Can can I say real quick, Tangan Roshi, I think, was born in like 1900? um, It must have been later
1: than that. I can't remember exactly, but he was about the same age as Katagiri, so it was probably about 1928, 25 or something. He was a a kid where he was a late teenager
0: during the war. So something like that. That's right, I got it confused because actually I'm I'm misremembering. So Mumon Roshi, Yamada Mumon was 1900 and I was thinking about timeline. And so Tongan, I think is 28. So I was thinking, oh, he's about maybe 26 or 28. He's about 25, 26 years younger than Mumon Roshi. And um, so, but a giant in the Zen world, a huge giant. Um, please talk about him.
1: It was maybe he was a giant, but he um, <laughs> he just you know he just was a, just a complete monk. So he just lived at Bukokaji, and if you wanted to practice with him, that's what you had to do. He almost never traveled. Um, you know, he refused. He actually didn't open his mail, so there was there was literally stacks of mail in his room. Um, you know, before email and everything was when I was there. Yes. Uh, so there was literally stacks of mail in his room that, and he, not only his mail, but everybody that lived in the monastery, he would take the mail and just put it in his room. <laughs> <And I laughs> what, it, it, it didn't matter. Yes. Um, so the first time I saw him, uh, Tangiroshi, I was, uh, I had just arrived. I'd been at a different uh, monastery, the uh, Soto monastery that Kadagiri had wanted me to go to after he died. And um, so I did, but then after a month I left, um, you know, I was doing a lot more sitting and uh, stuff in Minneapolis than they were doing on their daily schedule. It was more of a monk's finishing school, really. Yes. <clears throat> um, and so I, I left there and I, by chance, before this, before I, I was on my way to Japan, by chance, I ran into a, a guy that I'd done a bunch of sushi with in Minneapolis on the plane uh, to Tokyo. It's like and uh, sat down and started talking to him. And he, he told me about how uh, Tanya Roshi had saved his life, he said, and that uh, he'd been you know, having a really difficult time and he'd gotten to Sushi and Tanya Roshi just kind of helped him sort it. And um, I was like, well, that's cool. And then just kind of put that in the file. And uh, when this other place, Oji wasn't working, uh, I you know bailed and, and went there and uh i told them i was coming but they tried to dissuade me you know saying like yeah well if you're going to leave someplace else you're not really the kind of person that we want here you know so don't bother to come but and i of course came anyway because i understood the the dance um but they uh eventually i got uh, into eat with the, with the group. Uh, and they, it took quite a while to actually, before they actually said, yeah, you can stay. Um, you know, checking things out. They, they weren't dumb. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but we were standing waiting for Tanya and he opened the door and walked in the, the uh, meal hall and uh, came across the floor to his place to, you know, to show us where sit down. And he was just so happy. I was like, it, you know, it, this is a guy that's, he, he's been here for 30 some years at that time, so, you know, just walking across the tatami to his spot, is like, he was like, this is so cool, you know, <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, probably the most joyful guy I've ever met, you know, so kind of a continuous sense of awakening and, and joy, um, and very powerful, you know, in Dokusan san and and uh mu of course he was just uh mu was the pretty much the only koan. uh so you know with some insight go deeper go deeper go deeper
0: i have heard that i there where i lived at sogenji um there were several people who came from bukokuji later as Tom roshi got older mm-hmm. um, um told, told us stories about him and about bukokuji which is a pretty small place
1: yeah it's a pretty small place there's almost no work to do which is really nice so we just sat all day all the time i mean we'd have 20 minutes of work you know and uh, maybe once every few weeks an hour or two in the graveyard and uh, otherwise you know there was just very little to do so the and there, there was a lot of open zazen so it was unstructured in that way except for I, it, it, he changed it up uh, regularly, but when I was there, it was you know morning and evening, and then in between, you know there were there were hours of just you know, open sitting. So it was great. It was, it was the perfect uh, place, um, and I couldn't really find a Soto teacher that I wanted to work with. And Bukokichi well, is you know, technically Soto, but kind of in the
0: hybrid Harada uh, yeah. lineage. Uh, so right, uh, right. Um, Yeah, uh, well, well, I've heard you can't even, you can't really read there, right? They won't let you pick a book up, right? Right. Right. Right.
1: Um, Reading, if you got caught reading a novel, it was a minor violation. If you got caught reading a sutra, it was a major violation. (laughs) (laughs) You could get kicked out for reading a sutra or Dogen or something. Uh, So, (laughs) uh, that's not, and we had uh, Doksan probably a couple times a day almost every day you know and so it you know
0: very intense
1: yeah.
0: uh, wow, wow. and how long did you stay there
1: i was just there a year yeah and i was going to come back and sort things and decide what to do and then then away with life, <laughs> so <laughs> visa stuff, I had to come back, I was still, I was on a cultural visa from Zouye so I had to, you know, do something, to do something different, and then uh, you know, I, I could have stayed, and uh, listening to some of your uh, stories on your podcast, uh, you know, definitely get some monastic nostalgia, and
0: uh, like, oh, yeah, but, uh, three
1: more years in the monastery at this time would be you know, that that sounds good.
0: Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, you know, funny enough, my previous guest, Bob Shry, actually went to, um, he was a uh, Kaplo person, and he actually visited Bukokuji, and uh, was going to stay there, but didn't stay too long. But um, I think there was an exchange there. Um, yeah. Between, yeah, because of Kaplo. right? Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, Tanguy uh was kind of... Or, one of Kaplow's seniors, so they knew each other at, uh, at uh, Hoshinji. I can't remember how long Kaplow stayed at Hoshinji, but quite a while before he, he went to uh, kind of, uh, uh, well, he switched over to Yasutani at some point. But, so, but he was at, at Hoshinji for, I think, almost a decade, maybe, quite a long time. And Taganroshi was like the head, tr- head of training. So he had some stories about Kaplau that weren't all that flattering <laughs> that, that, he'd, that he'd tell. <laughs> when, especially when there were Rochester, uh, Z Center people visiting.
0: <laughs> wow, 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 wow. I mean, uh, people really talk about Tongan being, hey, you know, this is a Buddha walking around. Very, you know, this is... Anyway, I, I, I'm very fond of hearing stories about him. Um, great, great to hear about him. Um,
1: so, was, you know, the Tanden was, you know, huge for many, uh, in Japanese monks and you could totally feel it. You know, he was, he was kind of like a rolling top or something as he, as he moved around and, um, and, uh, and he'd go around with, uh, Kiyosaku, uh, every time he came into the Zendo and hit everybody. And, um, you could just feel that energy just kind of, oh, yeah. yeah. The, the first time I was there I didn't I was in the gaitan I didn't know the you know, the tradition how to wind to bow and whatever <clears throat> and uh, he came around and I was last I, everybody else got hit so I knew what was coming so you know as he came up I put my hands in the show and he uh, leaned over and uh, kind of said loudly enough I'm sure for everybody here he said oh no no it's okay uh, no need to bow now and so oh, I put my hands down then boom <laughs> <laughs> But he could hit also like spot on. You know, he, he could he, the best Kyosaku of anybody I've ever received it from. Yeah, you know, it was just an energy exchange. Um, it seems today I'd say no pain. Back then I might have said some pain, <laughs> but
0: <laughs> it was just spot on. Yes. Wow. Um. So. Then you came back and eventually started working with James Ford. Mm-hmm. Right?
1: right. Well, yeah. So um, you know, I you know had you know lots of dharma kind of experiences working with Katagiri and also Kokuchi. Like <clears throat> but you know, for me, kind of a slow learner or something. Uh, I had the sense that uh, you know that I wasn't. There was something un, unfinished, unresolved, unrequited. Um, And I was, you know, teaching, I'd received transmission from uh, Katagiri and so I was teaching some, Um, you know, I could give a talk and I'd always feel like I couldn't quite say it, you know, like it wasn't quite right. And um, so I kept you know, trying to find people to work with. And I did a couple uh, sessions with Harada Shodoroshi. Roshi. Uh, and, you know, and I visited uh, him uh, in Japan. Uh, David Chadwick, who, yeah. you know David? David Ch- Chadwick and his wife uh, was, we were living right next door at the time. And so I spent about a week there and went over and, and had met uh, Harada Shodoroshi. Roshi. He was coming here at that time already on, uh, and uh, some of the first sushin he did on Whidbey Island um and uh so i I, you know it was easier than going to japan so i did some sushi with him he was you know he's he is uh you know clearly great teacher as well i think you know that um kind of one of the one of the things about that before we get uh away from that topic too much is that i think um and one of the things I hear you say in the podcast I've heard is that like, you want people to know this. And <laughs> I think that's good. And uh, because there is something about the American Zen scene that, um, that um, I don't think appreciates the practice in Japan. And some of the practice in Japan, not all of it, of course, but some of the practice in Japan is intensive at a completely different level than um, what's happening here still I'd say by and large. You know, certainly there's some exceptions and I don't know everything, but <laughs> that's what I see. And and that was for me. I mean I had uh, I was a pretty intense guy in Minneapolis with Katahiri Roshi and you know we practiced intensively and but when I went into Bokokuji it was like this is this is a whole nother you know dimension of practice. Um, and really important uh, to to experience that um, that that's possible, and uh, I think that's one of the things that I carried away from that experience uh, is that um, we are we are capable of so much more than we imagine, um, and um, much of our culture now is, is so uh, seems to be about um acknowledging our limitations which is important of course but there's another side which is acknowledging our incredible power so
0: yeah love it beautiful beautiful yeah i feel like with these these teachers often you know you think well i'm 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 really intense you know and then you meet them and you see there's a black hole of intensity there and i can you in a part of the they just show us that oh i can go so much further into that unknown and that um yes yeah i i love what you're saying that's so beautiful yeah yeah
1: mm. the first time i when i was uh, visiting with rara Roshi, uh and uh the chief was there Yeah, the course, and uh, you know we we're just visiting pretty much and we were talking he's just came having a cup of tea and yeah. He's talking, asking me about American Zen and you know, Katagiri, and just chatting. And uh, then I realized, well, you know, I didn't have much more time with him, probably. So <clears throat> I said, So, what's the essence of your teaching? You know, and he, you know, he's what is he like 5'2 or something <laughs> like You know, and I'm about six feet, and we're sitting across a table. And suddenly, it was like he was a cobra, he just kind of. And, he's, and he goes, You must die now! And then Gisho and, and got up and left. <laughs> Chief Son and I were like,
0: Whoa! I <laughs> know. Uh, oh. yeah. oh, he's a very powerful guy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, man. Yes. Um, okay. So. You kept going, and you um...
1: I kept going. I did some sashimi with him. Then I decided uh, to. Uh, I met Dido Lori and um, and I was uh, really uh, impressed with his uh, kindness. Really, uh, although he was a uh, you know, kind of a rough guy and known yeah. for being kind of a tough guy, merchant marine. <laughs> Uh, it, it hadn't been too long before I met him and started working with him, where he'd sit in machine and chain smoke in Tokusan. You know, he couldn't smoke in the building, but he'd be chain smoking in Tokusan. People uh, would come in and present moan and just shake his head and flick his cigarette. And, like that, you know. um, and he was very, uh, I, you know, one of the reasons that I uh, decided to work with him was that. Um, he uh, you know, he knew the culture that I was uh, working in, and, uh, and he was uh, very uh, kind of keen in kind of an organizational way, and in addition to, to the Dharma. So I was able to continue the work that I'd started with Tangyan Roshi, uh, with him, and uh, seamlessly, really. Um, and uh, I'm very grateful, of course, to all of them, to, but uh, Daito Lori, too. Um, and uh and after some time, a couple three years of doing sushi there as often as I could, it became clear that with his system and if I wanted to if I wanted to do the system, and I did, I wanted to I wanted to complete that piece so I could share it also, um, I would have to be a monastic there for for a couple of decades, probably, at least one decade. And by that time, I had two kids, and you know, I, I couldn't just move to Zen Mountain Monastery. So uh, you know, I took that as far as it seemed fitting at the time, and then eventually was able to you know, connect with James, who was much more flexible in terms of the kind of work that we could do
0: together. Yes, yes, yes. Light. Right, and and to be able to maybe finish up a a system to be able to um, share them. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that and that system, I think you know, it's a little different than the system that uh, you know the Rinzai uses now, you know, modified a bit from Harada and There hasn't been a lot of modifications since then. I had the chance to talk with someone who was a successor of Bon. Roshi's successors and not from yasutani and we kind of walked through the curriculum you know in a half hour just you know and at least the broad outlines it's the same except for a few little details so i i had imagined that yasutani roshi would have modified it considerably but apparently that's not the case the harada yasutani curriculum seems to be pretty much what harada had uh, developed so, and that system uh found to be very powerful. And, you know, I had this sense of lack of completion, as I mentioned, and, you know, thanks to uh, working with Dido and having a you know, deepening experience. And then also the, just the successive refining that comes after that through the, through the Cohen system that I did with James and other people too, that Mosa Blacker and David Reining that worked with James at the time. Um, that um you know I, I, by the time I was done, it felt like, yeah, it's done, you know, so there's a sense of, of completion that I didn't have uh, you know before, which uh, is a, is actually a great relief, and so I'm, I am very grateful to to James and Melissa and david for for helping me through that birthing process wow.
0: Wow. 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 well that that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting point, you know, having a lot of people go and they do um, serious training with someone like Tongan Roshi or Shoto Harada and they they have deep experiences and then, um, but they're not gonna spend 30 years there um, with that person, uh, maybe. And, and then they end up not really knowing how to uh, plug that in to to something and be able to um, somehow offer it or, or be, you know, bring it into the culture. But I I just see that over and over and over, actually. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like you had so much homework that you brought to that work, then too it made it so rich too, right? That's really interesting.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I'd been doing, uh, before, I, uh, before I started move with uh, Tanya and Roshi, I'd been doing, you know, Katagiri Roshi's version of Shikantaza and you know Shikantaza is one of those words that's more of a placeholder it doesn't really mean anything because it's used in so many different ways but so Katagiri uh, what I understood to be uh, Katagiri Shikantaza and so lots of samadhi lots of settled sitting and so then I was at a, a place where with, with Mu and kind of the the forever Mu approach of Tongan Roshi which seemed just like forever Shikantaza you know you can tell category, whatever experience you had, and he'd, you know, nod and be happy for you. And then like, but there wasn't another practice. <laughs> you know, there wasn't another call on. Um, and what Soto Zen uh, has, and at least I think traditionally had in uh, Japan too, is that um, the, uh, the monastic training container could be that post-Kensho refining, you know, engine um, through the forms of training. And uh, you know a very intelligent kind of design for doing the day and ceremony, Um, You take that out of Japanese culture, though it doesn't work very well. <clears throat> and um, some people, some people make it work. There are American teachers, I think, that do, but they're few and far between. So um, that's a, cha- I think that's a big challenge across the board uh, for you know how to how to really live these experiences and i think the, the con that at least i can can report that the maradiastony curriculum is is one of these methods that really does help you you know make it your life and uh, you yeah. know
0: love it wow wow um you have a new book coming out the record of empty hall in 2021 and and what's that about
1: yeah <laughs> yeah uh, it's, it's about me sticking my neck out um, <laughs> for, for one thing <laughs> um, again but um, you know so I was I, I got into uh, studying hockey and um, you know and uh, you know doing you know some and study in, in the categories Practice and his uh, lineage study is a really important part of the practice, and it was you know a huge part of what he did. Uh, he would sit zazen and study and talk to people and study, and you know so he was very focused. And uh, it's not like this kind of study, you know, it's, it's study is another one of these words like teacher that uh, there's all sorts of <laughs> types of study, there's all sorts of teachers. But study wasn't like reading Dogen in bed, you know, cuddled in with your jammies. It was uh, sitting up, you know at your desk, but sitting in zazen and, and you know um, being the text, you know embodying the text, entering the text. So uh, it's, a, it's a different kind of thing. It was, you know his he has various stories of his teachers scolding him severely. and one of the reasons he got scolded was he was, studying uh, Shogo Genzo and riding a train. And the student's like, how stupid you are, you know, you can't, if you're studying, study, riding the train, ride the train. So, um, and that was, I mean, he totally took that practice up. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity to travel with him and he uh, once, uh, uh, in the uh, San Francisco airport for eight hours in one of these, you know, early '80s plastic chairs, <clears throat> and um, he sat for eight hours, said going to the bathroom once or twice. He just sat there the whole time, eight hours. Uh, you know, I was just like amazed. And every once in a while, maybe a half hour or so, you know, I was, was in my 20s. I'd get antsy, so I'd get up and walk around, go check the board or whatever, you know after doing this a few times, I came back and he said, how impatient you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Compared to him, I was very, his name means great patience and he was, uh, he, he was great patient. I think I went off on some tangent there, so you're you're gonna have to you're gonna have to help me here <laughs> Back to the book, the empty hall. Oh, the book! Yeah, the book. So studying has always been an important part of my practice, also. And uh, I was reading, I totally forgot. <laughs> uh, age, just wait. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, so I was studying Hakuin, and Hakuin we have been talking about uh, Jutong, and uh, it's a Zen master. I didn't really know. I mean, who is this dude? And, uh, you know, he has places where he says that, you know, Kido Roku is like the greatest of the great, you know, in the kind of, you know, completely ebullient, enthusiastic tone of Hakuin. There's been the no greater Zen teacher, you know, you know. <clears throat> so, but I didn't even, I didn't know it. So I went around trying to find it. And um, there is an old translation from like 77 by, uh, the, by Hoffman, who's the same guy who wrote the a book The name escapes me right now, but it's like the Koan Answer Book, right? He he translated that. So it's terrible, right? And you know, those are terrible answers, and it's just kind of just confusing uh, that it's even out there. But he translated he translated this also, and it was in actually an appendix, I think, of the early version of that. I think Sound of One Hand or something is that text is called. I shouldn't even say it because I don't want people looking it up. Don't (laughs) waste. Anyway, uh, I'm glad that he translated that, but I started looking at it and you know, it's a 77 translation and um, he's still alive, but you know, so he was really young at the time. And um, I don't think he had much Zen experience. So it was like a first draft kind of translation. So glad that he did it. um, And as I've uh, learned to, look up characters, essentially. I've uh, you know, kind of gotten into that quite a lot these past years. And then my favorite things to do is just to be able to sit and you know, look up the characters and see how these things kind of come together and how it might be expressed in English. Yes. I'd already done, I, I had gone through the, um, our curriculum and retranslated it uh, with a student uh, who's better at languages uh, than I am. And so we had that. Um, I, I noticed the English translations, especially in the Gateless Gate, um, some of them are, just seemed funny. You know, like is that right? Do you think? You know, and um, we use largely the Aiken-Roshi translations, and Aiken-Roshi was uh, you know great literary guy, and he tends to you know literary it. You know, so um, and the Chinese are usually four, five, six characters, you know, three, four lines. It's just very terse and pointed. And so got into that process of translating. Don't recommend it for people that are working with their first koans. It's, you know, it's just kind of not that it's an irrelevant. thing. But for me, it was very helpful to dig into it and get a taste of that kind of uh, intelligence in the root of the tradition. Muman, for example, incredible, incredible um, practitioner, deep. And it's it you have the sense, I have the sense when working with those the translations that it's like each character it's kind of slow he feels to me kind of slow and incredibly deep you know just so no spare words no extraneous expression just right to the heart so i was able to find the chinese version of the in japanese and uh began uh, translating it and then adding little commentaries and uh, um, you know most at first it was mostly it was at first just a personal project and as I got into it and shared a little bit some people you know nudge me to try to get it published and uh, so eventually eventually I did and I'm quite happy (laughs) that Steve Hine the scholar Steve Hine wrote an endorsement for it and and uh, so I feel like phew you know, because I'm an amateur translator, you know, I've got some experience in practice, but I'm not a scholar and, you know, I'm not a, I, don't, you know I don't speak Chinese. So um, I'm just, I'm just working it out as I go based largely on my you know, Zen practice, rather than my language uh, skills. Yeah,
0: so, Right, 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 right. Um, you've been working a lot online. With students, um, how has that been? Um, it seems like that's part of how it's going these days, especially with the pandemic. how How's that experience been for you?
1: Yeah, so about uh, seven or eight years ago, we started the Vine of Obstacles, and um, which is this online um, practice group. And um, I had been meeting with you know a handful of people online. It was just as the Skype and those kind of things were making it you know possible where the technology was um it seemed more seamless yeah. and uh and some of them wanted to be able to talk to each other so he's you know try to you know, and they were all over the place of course so we uh, developed this uh, Vine of Obstacles thing with a Moodle. And so there's a study component and you know Zazen commitment and then people. And now you know, Tetsugan, uh, Tetsugan, by the way, uh, <laughs> it's uh, Iron Vow. <laughs> uh, my wife and teaching partner, uh, I, we we're doing it together now. She had been mostly working with the Nebraska Zen Center, but of course, uh, we we're in the pandemic and it looks like it's going to be going for a while and, and then even afterwards um, it's not really clear how you know people are gonna what we're gonna do uh, in terms of in-person places so I mean and, and it works it works much better than I thought it would actually and uh, working with people online especially if they're people who have some in-person experience previously that also works much better than I had thought um, it would um, people can do keyword colon practice etc and um, what, what it takes more time in terms of the relationship because it 's all verbal you know and I imagine for you uh, working with uh, Harada Roshi, it's like it's it's like ninety nine percent nonverbal right so how do we do practice then in this new way and um, you know, for a while, you know, we were saying, well, there's things that we can't do. Now we're trying to turn the check, the question and ask more like, well, how could we do them? And maybe not the same things, but how could we, you know, work toward the same end of, and, and really, you know, the the end. Well, the process is the is the Zen uh, wrecking ball, right? So when you when you start, everything has to be leveled. You know all the paradigms, including Zen and Buddhism, and you know everything is, goes. And and then from there the reconstructive part begins. So I think that you know it's some it's some with some sense of loss and and some resistance because for both Tenzin and I we we love and you know have found great value in those the body practice of Zen. Um, but maybe that's not going to be how Zen goes forward, you know? And, um, so that's what we're looking at. And, uh, I don't know. I, I think, I think Sushin is irreplaceable. Yeah. Um, people that have some experience, of course, can do solo retreats, and those can be very powerful too, more powerful sometimes. I heard Joe story. I was very moved by that. Um, so, but for, for newcomers, you know, that don't have such an experience, um, how do you get there? I mean, maybe I've got a student now that's uh, doing his first uh, retreat, solo retreat in the in the forest monastery in Thailand. He's doing a, a Zen, a Zen retreat, and I had doka San with him in the in the, uh, in the uh, pavilion, you know. Uh, and he's got this little mosquito tent, stuff like that, because <laughs> it's all outside, you know, South Asia. So, so that's that's what I'm that's what I'm we're working on, and not having completely given up the possibility of in person. But um, I think that even even after, like, if there's some miraculous vaccination or something that comes online, uh, so to speak. Um, I think we're still going to be, you know, the, the interest for a lot of people is going to be able to do it this way. It's also, you know, um, one of the advantages of this is that the people that are interested in, you know, Zen work and Zen work with any particular teacher, like us, teachers, um, you know, that sense of affinity, it's like few and far between, but they're all over the planet, you know, so then <clears throat> this technology allows this kind of freedom from some spatial limitations.
0: Right. Right. This big pool. Right. You're not just in Nebraska there or I'm on this silly island. You know, it's like it's a huge pool. It's so beautiful, actually, in a way, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Great. Well, so, just real quick. I think maybe we're, we're, let's kind of start to finish up, but I would like to know for you as a, you know, 2020, what, why would, why would a young person maybe, why would a young person be interested in this Zen stuff? You know, they, it's something their parents maybe thought about, you know what I mean? When it was really popular and now that, you know, why would a person go to Zen? Why, what's the draw of that? What does it have to, to give people?
1: Well, I think it, it has, uh, you know, people can discover who they really are. So, uh, what they really are, uh, you know, and uh, and stop struggling with that, uh, you know, that trying to stop struggling to maintain the identity center, which is a, you know, a futile uh, goal, goal, finally, to um, support that sucker because it's gonna die. So, um, you know, you might as well let it go now would be a skillful approach and a very meaningful life you know so a very meaningful life that isn't dependent on a lot of resources which i think is where we're going also the need for people to find meaning in life and depth in life uh without the, the lifestyle that we've been accustomed to yeah. you know things things don't seem it doesn't seem sustainable you know in many ways so um so I think, you know, that that uh, taste of the fundamental is is really important and uh, is incredibly healing in itself. And then also and, and those tastes of the fundamental, you know, lots of people experience that just out of the blue randomly. Zen doesn't have a copyright on that. <clears throat> but what we do have is some process for working through after those experiences. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't I don't know of anything else out there like that there may well be but you know I know that this way works so I think you know for young people it's a great time to get involved in in Zen practice and um, going to your neighborhood Zendo may not be the place to go because at least in Soto Zen now uh, Soto Zen largely has grown quite a bit in, uh, you know, in the U.S. and I think in uh, generally in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but, um, you know, so there's, Katagiri Roshi used to say that in Japan, there's 20,000 Soto and priests with Dharma transmission and three teachers. And so now in the U.S. Um, there's, you know, a few hundred, you know, maybe, maybe even four or 500 now, uh, at least in Soto's Zen priests, with Dharma transmission, probably about the same percentage of teachers, <laughs> the three to 20,000. So be careful, because what a lot of places are going to be doesn't really represent the scope and depth of the Buddha Dharma. You know, a lot of places are going to offer some meditation, which is a lot like mindfulness, which is about feeling better, which is good, but really doesn't get to the root. And then, kind of a community, you know, to hang out together, and a, as you said in an email, a, a non-dual philosophy. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. I call it the post-Meiji Soto orthodoxy, <laughs> which is a big mouthful. So I like, you know, non-dual philosophy. So it's a belief system, and it's not about realizing and experiencing it for yourself. Which is, you know, why I got into it. That's, that's, that's what was, I found really compelling, was not, uh, you know, some priest holding up a book and saying, believe this and everything will be okay. Well, that's bullshit. So there's no book you can hold up and say everything's going to be okay. It's just, that's very naive. Yes, yes. Um, so there's sickness, old age and death, at least. Uh, so there's that. Actually experiencing this ancient way and, and maybe even then carrying it forward to another generation, which is completely dependent on this upcoming generation to do that deep work. And that next generation, uh, you know, it's like that's when the climate crisis is really going to hit. Who knows what kind of political system we have at that point, you know, so uh, across the board. That upcoming generation is gonna need all the resources they can get to lead any kind of sane lives.
0: Yes. Wow. Wow. Really delightful to um kind of share some time with you. Really um bright feeling from you. So nice. Thank you. Um, no, thank
1: you. You too. Enjoyed talking to you. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Um and um Anyway, I, uh, you know, I, I I got another I feel like, you know, there's like a brotherhood with this kind of stuff. And I, I you I maybe Dosho's a little I can feel, oh, he's kind of this, he's he's an older brother. He's a he's he's an awesome senpai. So so thank you. Great to thank meet you. Me. Yeah. <laughs> um
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I think you know among practitioners there is that kind of bond, which is wonderful to, to feel across traditions. And, uh,
0: yes, yes. Um, okay, well, um I think I'm gonna sign off here. Thank you so much for being here. Um, um and thank you to for to Tetsugan again uh for um sharing us sharing you with us for a minute. Um And uh, I'll talk to you hopefully soon. Thank you so much, Dosho. You're welcome. Okay, okay, okay. Bye. Bye.